We are going to be reading out of a portion of scripture today from the NIV Bible. If you have the Bible app on your phone and you want to use that or you brought your own Bible, that's awesome. If you would like a Bible, though, please just raise your hands and the ushers will come to you and they will give you a Bible. Just keep it up until you get one. Real quick before we get started, um, one of our, our values here is as part of what we call radical living. And radical just means, well, if you grew up, when I grew up, radical means really cool. Um, and I do think it's a word we should bring back. We, we should be rad. We should be radical. We should be cool, yeah. Um, no, we're not called to be cool. But we are called to live radical lives, and part of that is radical giving. So there is something where we give the first fruits, what we call the first fruits, that means it's the beginning, the first, the best um, part of our income to the church. We give it to God, we give it to people. Um, and then we go above and beyond that. We, we do offerings. And so there's two opportunities right now that we have to be radical givers. And those two things are our winter food boxes, and that's where we put together boxes of food for local schools um, or families of, um, that are, of children that are in local schools. And we want to make sure that while they are away from school over the winter break, that they have food. Because for some families, that is the, um, they rely on breakfasts and lunches uh, at the school to feed their kids. So we have an opportunity. What is it again? 14000 Dollars that we're trying to re, uh, raise, and that's $140 per box. So um, if you think about it that way, if you want to sponsor a whole box or give a whole box, or maybe you can do more than that, um, you can go ahead and scan the QR code and it goes to outreach. And then also we are trying to raise money for um, the GIPS, uh, have an opportunity. There's a women's shelter in Kyrgyzstan, and that is through Extension Ministries. So um, if you would like to go above and beyond what you normally give, and that's what God's leading you to do, please do so. We also have, do we still have more tags on the giving tree? Uh, yes? Okay, good. So out there in the lobby, we have a giving tree, and that's families within City Harvest who just need some extra help of um, extra love around the holidays. And so we get to be a blessing to each other in that way. So you just grab a tag off the tree. You make sure to sign it out. Don't just grab it and walk off with it. Sign it out on the clipboard. And then you bring back the gifts. Is it next week? Sherry? Okay, sorry. I'm looking at the wrong person. It's not, I should not be looking at Pete. December 17th, next weekend. So, all right. I'm excited to share with you today, we are talking about humility, like Pastor Bob said at the beginning of the service, and we aren't doing the typical Advent themes necessarily of peace and hope and joy and love, but don't worry, those messages are deeply embedded in the things that we are reading, and they're deeply embedded in the things that we're talking about. So uh, two weeks ago, Pete shared on how Jesus came incarnationally. And that just means that God, a spirit, took on human form. And I love the way that Pete said it. He said, as Jesus came to earth as a man to die so that we may live, we are to accept his gift and die to ourselves and live for him. We're not meant to live our lives for ourselves, but live completely surrendered 
to the Father like Jesus did. And then last week, Sue shared beautifully on the supernatural. And the supernatural elements are, they're just woven all throughout the Advent story. And I loved what she shared, though, about how God has spoken to her supernaturally in her life. I was even convicted. I I was sick, so I was at home watching, but she was talking about um, God speaking to her about her marriage. And it reminded me of times that God has spoken to me about mine. It's not... (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Got the peanut row. Peanut row. (laughs) Peanut gallery in the front row is what I meant. Um, But... She also then talked about how she's, by saying yes to Jesus, she has lived a supernatural life. And she even went back to the beginning of this church and the journey that that God took Pastor Bob and Pastor Suan to birth this church and to found this church. And what a risk that was. And talking about feeling not qualified. But when God tells you to do something... He gives you supernatural grace to do it and to walk it out. So today we're going to talk about, yes, the humble circumstances of Jesus's life, his birth, his arrival, how he lived and how we are called to live. But just remember that that whole idea of Jesus with us is woven throughout everything. And that idea that there's the supernatural element, there's supposed to be the supernatural element to us as believers following Jesus, it's there throughout the whole thing. So we're gonna talk about, first though, what humility is and what humility is not. Because humility, we can call a lot of things humble that are not really humble. So humility would be knowing exactly who you are, Okay, you're not confused about that. And then knowing exactly what you are capable of and what you're called to do, but confidently choosing to lower yourself. So humility is formed in us as we surrender to the spirit of God. So if you consider that, humility is knowing exactly who you are. You're not, you're not confused about that. You know what you're capable of. You know what God is capable of, but you choose to lower yourself in circumstances where you could say, I know more, or I deserve more, or I'm better than that. Humility is not a personality trait, though. It's not when someone is soft-spoken or quiet. It's not when somebody is indecisive or deferring. No, no, you, 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 you pick. I, it's okay. I don't, you, you decide. That's not necessarily humility, okay? Humility is also not insecurity. We will sometimes label insecurity and call it humility. And that one is something I think that we are, we're more prone to do. So when somebody keeps their thoughts and their opinions to themselves because they don't think that their thoughts and opinions are worth that much or that anyone will listen. Or if they think, you know, I'm not really deserving of this relationship. I'm not really deserving of blessing. Um, That's insecurity. That's not humility. Sometimes, especially as believers in our zeal for God and wanting to know him more and wanting to obey him, we can very easily get into a very, what I believe is a very dangerous theology that um, we are worthless, 
we're just worms. God's disgusted with us. He can't stand to look at us. Good thing Jesus is there to protect us because God just wants to smite us off the face of the earth. But it's not humility to downgrade God's handiwork. We can't degrade the divine image that he made us in and the divine image that he made others in and call that humility. So all those things would be a form of false humility. So what is humility? You know me. I love dictionary definitions. I go to the Bible and I'm like, okay, what's the Hebrew say? What's the Greek say? And I go to the dictionary. (laughs) But I love the dictionary definition actually this time. Humility is freedom from pride and freedom from arrogance. I loved that they said freedom. It's just not, not being proud. It's freedom from pride and arrogance because those are traps. And it says the state of being humble, of course, which is not proud, haughty, arrogant, um, having a spirit of deference or submission, ranking low and hierarchy. And it comes from the Latin word humilis, which just means low. So we're gonna be talking about that today, how Jesus made himself low. And in, in the Greek, in the New Testament, humble, it just making oneself low. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. So Jesus allowed himself to be humbled when he entered our world. And it's really simple because he did that, then we're supposed to allow ourselves to be humbled for him. So will we do that though? Will we allow ourselves to be humbled as we follow him? So Jesus enters our world through embodiment, and that's where something intangible becomes tangible, where something abstract becomes concrete and real. A spirit is given a body. Maybe you've heard it said this way, it's God with skin on. That's what Jesus was, right? Jesus is perfect theology, so if you wanna get to know God, you look at Jesus, you look at his life. So let's look at his life. Um, Go ahead and open up to Luke chapter two. We're going to be reading a, a scripture from a scripture that is well known around the birth of Jesus and Advent. It's about the shepherds. And we're reading about this because Jesus chose to announce his birth to people of a very humble status. And they were the first people that were invited to come worship him, to come visit him, to come worship him. And if you think of how long the Jews had waited for their salvation, hundreds of years, it was years before, and they're waiting for this Messiah to come and shepherds get to be the one to visit him first. So let's go to Luke 2. Um, We're going to start in verse 8, but in the beginning of the chapter, the first few verses, it's talking about Joseph and Mary and how the Roman ruler of the day, Caesar Augustus, had issued a census to be taken. And so Joseph and Mary have to travel from where they're from, this town in Nazareth, and they have to go down to Bethlehem because that's where David's or Joseph's family is from, the line of David. And they get there, and this, we know the backstory already that, um, you know, Sue was sharing about it last week, that Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. That sounds a little crazy. Um, Joseph doesn't want to marry her. He, he's like, well, clearly she did something else. But 
an angel comes to him in a dream and says, no, this baby is from God. So they're, they're doing this journey together and they get to Bethlehem. And sometimes we have this picture in our mind of they're just frantically, like her water broke right before they got into town and they're frantically knocking on doors and there's all these hotels and inns and nobody will, will let them come in. Realistically, um, that maybe that did happen, but some of that has to do with a, an interpretation of the word where we read it as in, that it's most likely they stayed with family members of Joseph but there, the room, the whole house was full of guests, all these people coming to gather there. And in those days, they would have a multi-level house and at the bottom would be where um, animals were brought in for the night. And so it wasn't the greatest of conditions, but that's where Mary gives birth to this baby Jesus. And she puts him in a manger. So we're gonna start in verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I think it's so meaningful that God chose shepherds, which some people will talk about shepherds as, well, you know, the patriarchs in the Old Testament, they were shepherds. That was a different time. If you were a shepherd in the time of Jesus, it was a job of low socioeconomic status. You um, didn't sleep much. You, I mean, you're, you're traveling during the day, trying to take care of your flocks. And at night, you're watching, taking turns, watching over them so that wild animals don't, you know, come and eat them or that your sheep don't get stolen by another group of shepherds. And most likely, these aren't your own sheep. You're just a hired man or woman doing something for, you know, you're taking care of someone else's sheep. And I think sometimes, would you have been offended if you were there in the time when Jesus was born and you heard that shepherds got to see him first, that that's who got to see him first, it wasn't, uh, maybe that would be encouraging to you. Maybe you'd be like, well, I'm low, I'm low in status. That's so cool that God did that. 
But maybe it was offensive to people that Jesus chose the dirty, the tired, the smelly, the people who had no money in contrast to the wise men that come bearing these great gifts. They had nothing to bring but themselves. And all throughout scripture, there are references to God's people being sheep without a shepherd. And God will sometimes talk through prophets saying, I I long to feed you. I long to gather you. I long to take care of you. But there's a lot of rebellion and sin in the hearts of his people. But he says, this is who you are. You don't have real leaders. You don't have real people who will love you and tend to you and take care of you. That's what I long to be. And so I think even when Jesus in John 10, he describes himself as what? The good shepherd. And so I think it's just layer upon layer of Jesus saying, I'm going to make myself low. I'm going to come in a low way and I'm going to call you to be low. We talk about our, our theme for this year, his kingdom come, his will be done. And I just want you to know, I've said it before, but if you're praying that prayer, you're praying a disruptive prayer. That's not a religious prayer that you just say the words and then God make the world better. I I just want world peace. No, if his kingdom comes and his will is done in your life, you're asking him to humble you. That's what we're asking. God, humble us, make us more like you. So both the the humble in, in, in circumstances, the shepherds, and then the wise men, we're not talking about them today, but they were humble in their hearts and minds. And both of those people, those types of people are invited to come into the kingdom of God. So the humble are the ones that God invites into his kingdom. If you look at the whole gospel or Advent story, there's so many things like, Angels announcing the birth, supernatural. Wise men, even these Gentiles who, who as far as we know, were not believers before. Um, they had knowledge. They, they had wisdom. They had all these things. They travel hundreds of miles to come see this newborn king. That's supernatural. They're following a star in the sky. There's so many supernatural elements. But we can't forget the humble circumstances that Jesus came into He's the son of God, and he entered our world. He entered earth. He's the son of God. He has a perfect father, and he submits himself to being raised by human parents. He came into the world the way we all do, through a woman. He completely subjected himself and submitted himself to the experiences that we all experience. So he was humble, and he humbled himself willingly, but he knew who he was. Jesus described himself as gentle and humble of heart. And one of the ways that we see this um, is, is how he refers to himself throughout the Gospels. And I think this is amazing. So we know he's the Son of God. Do you know what the devil refers to Jesus as when he's tempting him in the wilderness? Son of God. He says, oh, if you're really the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And he's mocking him. If you're really the son of God. Jesus, when he casts out demons, 
Sometimes they say things as they come out of people and they talk. And sometimes they're like, what do you want? What are you going to do with us, son of God? The demons are saying, you're the son of God. When Jesus would heal people, they would say, you're the son of God. The religious leaders would always try and trap him. And they would say, if you're really the son of God, why don't you tell us? And then, of course, the Roman centurion at the the death of Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, a Roman centurion goes by and he's looking at Jesus hanging on the cross and he's saying, surely, surely this man was the son of God. But do you know what Jesus called himself? The son of man. And yes, that, that there's a prophecy in Daniel that it alludes to about the Messiah, and it says in Daniel, the son of man, but, um, and that could have been a clue to people, but he continually called himself the son of man. And if you look that up in other places in the Bible, it just means human, humanity. He's a human. He was, it, he was human, like we were, we are human. Then, I mean, so then there's, okay, he's calling himself the son of man, even though he's the son of God. He knows who he is. He knows what he's capable of, but he chooses to lower himself. John the baptizer calls Jesus the lamb of God. He says when he sees Jesus, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And he's saying this because Jesus was the lamb that would be what's called the once and for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins for all of us, for all of eternity. And for for Jewish people in that day, if you say lamb, lamb is associated with sin. It's associated with sacrifice. It's associated with blood. Um, It's associated with something small and and meek and mild (laughs) being sacrificed, being killed. And I think it's remarkable that even though there are these things, like he's going to be the, the, you know, the everlasting father and the prince of peace and mighty God, he's a mighty counselor. But Jesus refers to himself in these ways. And he's allowing himself to be called the lamb because that's truly what he was. These images do not make us think of power and might, They make us think of meekness and humility, and maybe they're even offensive. That's a little too low. I always joke about um, my high school mascot, the honkers. Honkers, go honkers. They're geese. And people would talk about it like, well, geese are mean. Great. But if you're playing another team in sports and your team is like the wolves and then the other team is geese. Um, you don't feel real cool. There's sputters. What are all? We, there, I read an article of like the worst names. You know, the article about the worst high school mascots. The honkers were one of them, but there were some really bad ones. Um, honkers was not the worst. But Jesus chose this mascot of a lamb, and it's remarkable because Jesus has always existed. He was there. At the beginning of our sacred text, and it says, in the beginning, right? He's there at the creation of the world, and yet he allows himself to be humbled in order that we might know God more deeply, that we might have more access to him, that we might know how deeply loved we are by him. 
Because God had a whole history of trying to show his love to his chosen people, a whole history that's recorded in scripture. And that wasn't good enough. So he's like, I'll send my son, my beloved son. Maybe then they'll believe. And in the end, it led to the death of Jesus. It led to his death, his humiliation, his submission to the father led to um, death. Let's, I, I just, if you have your Bible still, I want you to turn to what Pete was reading from last week, uh, Philippians 2. We're going to go back there. Philippians 2, and we are going to start at the beginning. The heading for this passage in, in my Bible says, imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any encouragement at all, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, this is Paul talking to um, believers in Philippi, if, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you have any of those things at all, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others." In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we keep talking about the way Jesus came, the way he arrived, the way he lived shows us the way. So how do we follow the way of Jesus in humility? Which really just means how should we live? Well, this right here is something that we'll keep coming back to again and again, again and again, because it's hard to do again and again, because we need the supernatural grace of God to be able to do it, but it's possible. So one of the things following in the humility of Jesus means living radically different from our culture. And we'll talk about radical living and radical means not normal. It's different, it's above what is considered the standard or very different from what is considered the standard. So we talk about giving offerings and, and tithes. That's radical, okay? Um, we talk about taking time each week to Sabbath and rest and delight in God. That's radical. It's different from our culture. We talk about radical connection here. We encourage all of you, do not just show up here on a Sunday. Get involved in a group of believers in the family of God in this community. Do you know what that means? That means gathering with people that you don't know that well. It means opening up to people that maybe you, you really would never choose to be your friend and you really don't have much in common with them other than you both say you love Jesus and you're trying to live for him. That's radical. We choose to come here every Sunday 
and we sing praises to God, if you were to go around the room and we had a microphone and we just said, hey, could you just tell us the things that you're struggling with right now and all all the things that are hard in your life? It would be so depressing on the one hand. You might feel better because everyone else is going through something hard and maybe you're hard. You'd be like, well, at least it's not their hard. And I'm thankful now. But do you know that when we come to sing praises to God, it is because we are declaring that you are good even if our circumstances never change. That's radical. Forgiving, that's radical. Why wouldn't we pay back wrong for wrong? Why wouldn't we guard ourselves? Why would we love, love somebody or forgive them, give them a free pass is what we like to call it. Why wouldn't we want to have revenge? Because God calls us to a different way of living and it's radical. So are we living radically different from our culture? And I think sometimes it comes down to the really practical things. The way we start our mornings, the way we end our days Is it radical? Is it different from our culture? Who you follow on social media? Is it different from everyone else in our culture? We talk about this a lot here in the way you make decisions. Do you make decisions based off of like a list of pros and cons? Do you make decisions off of, well, I'll get more money if I take this job and I need money and God knows that. Um, do, Do you make decisions the way people in our culture make decisions? in the way we spend our money, in the way we spend our time, in the time, in the kind of people that we give our time to. There's lots of, of, of scripture in the Bible, um, well, obviously in the Bible, <laughs> I'm trying to say in the gospels, um, where Jesus is saying, do not just invite people to your home that you're friends with. Don't invite people to your home that can invite you back over to their home where you wanna get something from them so you're giving them something. He's like, invite people who could never repay you. Invite people into your home who could never reciprocate. That's radical. That's different than our culture. Jesus was born in a, what we would call like an honor-shame culture. And there's still lots of cultures like that around the world today. We, we don't have that here We have a totally different culture here in America. We're like a, anything is possible. Um, You know, we're independent and we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make things happen. We have a me first culture. We have a very, um, we're disconnected from our families. We don't live with our parents and our grandparents. We live separate, sometimes separate states, you know, across different countries, maybe even. We have a very different culture than a lot of the world, but still, there is a very selfish aspect to our culture, and Jesus calls us to reject it. He invites us to make ourselves low. Not, we are not supposed to be seeking fame. We're not supposed to be seeking eternal youth. We're not supposed to be seeking, you know, outward beauty. There's, we're, We're supposed to be making ourselves low because that's what Jesus did for us and that's what we're called to do for others. That will require, though, entering the world of others and letting them enter your world. And that is one of the reasons why it might be uncomfortable for you here on a Sunday morning when we get into groups and we pray or maybe we say, hey, somebody dealing with anxiety, we raise your hand, we wanna pray for you. You're like, oh, that's so uncomfortable. People pray for you or maybe you walk up and you get ministry from someone on the prayer teams and maybe that's uncomfortable. You know what's really uncomfortable? The Monday through Saturday stuff. 
that Jesus calls us to. Because that means on the time that you were supposed to go and relax, you were supposed to finally have me time, and God's like, here's someone I need you to go to. That's uncomfortable. That's not fun. But that's what Jesus calls us to. He says, I need you to enter other people's world. I entered yours, and I need you to enter the world of others. All throughout scripture, again, is this idea that we're supposed to make ourselves low so that the ones who need it the most, that we can lift up the ones who need it the most. The ones with limited resources, the poor, the rejected, the ones that we see as other, the foreigner in our land. There is so much in scripture of God saying, this is who I care about. I care about all of you, but I care about the orphan. I care about the widow. I, I care about the stranger. I care about the foreigner. I care about the poor. I care about the shepherds. I care about the humble in circumstances and the humble in heart. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for our sake, Jesus, he became poor so that we might become rich. And I think it's a good question to ask ourselves, how are we making ourselves poor that could be financially. It could just be in humility, in relationships. How are we making ourselves poor so that others might become rich? The other flip side to that, though, is that for some of us, um, if you're a helper, if you're a giver, you're a doer, you might be like, oh, I'm always entering the, the world of others. I'm always in somebody else's home. I'm, I'm helping, I'm cleaning, I'm making meals, I'm driving people, I'm stopping to change tires. I'm just always letting, I'm just always letting myself be made low so I can serve others. But do you allow others to serve you? Do you let people know when you need something? That can be a form of uh, humility as well because humility is 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 vulnerability. And so are you allowing your vulnerability to show through? Lastly, following in the humility of Jesus requires the humiliation of our pride. Now, sometimes when we're being made humbled, we think we're being humiliated. We think we are being embarrassed, and, and maybe we are. We might, there might be things where it's really hard to bite your tongue or it's really hard to know what you know and to be in that situation and not say something but there is a death to our pride that has to happen for God to really work in us and move in us and move through us. We're gonna go back to James. We, we you know, talked all through James. James 4, 6 or 8 says, and he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist pride and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. We have a choice. We can choose to make ourselves low or we can essentially choose to be brought low. And God will definitely allow circumstances to humble us not to humiliate us, not to shame us, but he will allow us to go through things to bring us low. And I think of all the things <laughs> that have brought me low. Some, some low as in like, this is hard. I don't wanna be here. And other times just, wow, this is really humbling. Um, 
being married has humbled me. (laughs) If you are in a covenant relationship with somebody else that you've committed to essentially be a mirror to you for the rest of your life, that's humbling. You can resist it, but God says resist pride. Being married has humbled me. Being pregnant six times and going through pregnancies and deliveries, that has humbled me. There are a lot of things that when you are pushing a baby come out of you, and there's a lot of people in the room, even if it's just nurses and and doctors, it's a humbling experience. Raising kids. Raising kids. That is a humbling experience. And it's not because our kids are so horrible and awful. It's because we have pride in our hearts and they reflect it back to us. And they have attitudes that we have And we're trying to tell them not to do it, but we know what's in our hearts too. It's really humbling. You know, whether I've homeschooled, I'd homeschooled the kids for a few years, I've put them in public school. It's all humbling. You know what's humbling? The amount of emails and and messages that I get from the schools that I can't keep up with, that's humbling. We've had people stay with us, live with us, that's humbling. Um... People have blessed us over the years. We didn't invite them in and God told them and somehow they they blessed us and that's humbling. My own sin has humbled me. Death of loved ones has humbled me. Sickness in my own body or things, aches, whatever, the allergies, all these things have humbled me. Surrendering to God And obeying him humbles me. That should humble us. Doing what he's asking us to do. Because that does mean forgiving. It does mean getting outside of our comfort zone. It does mean our life is not our own. But more than anything else, it's the love of God for me that has humbled me. I I talk about it. God for years has been saying, you're my beloved, you're my beloved. And then it's like he, he, as soon as I started to get it, he's like, they're my beloved. They're my beloved. They're my beloved. And sometimes he points to people that I don't immediately think of as his beloved. That's humbling. If you're currently in a circumstance that is humbling you, where you can't control it, can't rely on yourself and your capacity and your strength and you can't rely on yourself. You can't rely on what used to work. I've done this before. I should be better at this. If you are in a circumstance where most of us are, someone else seems to have control of your fate. Someone else seems to have control of your circumstances. I want to ask you, invite God into that Invite him in. If there's confusion, whatever it is, you're trying to make decisions, invite him in and just say, Lord, I acknowledge that being humble, that not having all the resources, not having the capacity, not being able to control anything, that makes me dependent on you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you I can't do it on my own. Thank you. Thank him for those circumstances. And then say, would you use this circumstance to shape me 
Form me, make me in your image, make me more like you because so many times we adamantly resist the situations that God is allowing to shape us and form us to become more like him. And we just have a victim mentality like this is happening to me. Where's God? I wish he would fix that other person, whether the other person is your spouse, your kid, your friend, your boss, your coworker, an employee. God, fix everyone else. Justify me. Give me vengeance. And God's like, I made myself low so that you could make yourself low. We have to allow our pride to be humiliated. We don't necessarily need to be humiliated but will you let your pride, every part of pride in you, every part of pride in your heart, will you allow God to put it to death in you? Jesus allowed himself to be humbled when he entered our world and he calls us to allow ourselves to be humbled as we follow him. We're gonna go into communion here and I just want you to be asking Holy Spirit, Where in my life, maybe you already know as I've been talking, but if you don't, ask Holy Spirit, where in my life right now are you inviting me to allow myself to be humbled? Where does my pride need to be humiliated so that you can be formed in me? And that's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for all of us today.